You're listening to the Transform Your Life podcast, where we talk about everything that you need to know to live your life happy, healthy, and whole. We talk about everything from pop culture to current events or just things that you've always been curious about every Tuesday in order to help you get the information you need to live your best life. Here's your host, Dr. Malika. Welcome everyone. It's Tuesday, Transformation Tuesday as I like to call it, because we should be focusing constantly on ways to transform and make ourselves better. Um, I can't really say it's a happy Transformation Tuesday if I'm being honest, just simply because of what's happening in this country currently. Um, I think that in all honesty, what is going on is so overwhelming in so many ways. There's so many layers um, that there's no sense in me trying to pretend that what is happening in our country is not happening. Um, One of the quotes that I, I love to live by is a quote by James Baldwin that says, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed unless it's faced. And that really is the purpose of this particular episode in relationship to what is going on around this country. I'm gonna just say a few names to give clarity and to to really put a spotlight on what is happening and has continually been happening in this country. Tony McDade, Sean Reed, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and recently George Floyd. These are just a few names of African-Americans who have been murdered in this country because of the systemic racism that exists in America. We're living in a time that is very uncertain. We started out the year basically with losses of a major um, figure for not just sports, but definitely in the African-American community um, in Kobe Bryant and the loss loss of the other eight lives on that helicopter. And then we are hit with some other major losses after that. And then COVID-19 comes in. And it basically, this virus oppresses and continues to devastate Black lives and communities. Another point back to the systematic racism and the disparities in this country. And then we have to deal with the other pandemic that many of us are calling it of racism. And it's not that we didn't know that it existed, but I feel that May 25th was the tipping point in this country when it comes to racial relations. It was the place where we realized that we were fed up. We were fed up as a country, um, fed up as a people. And the reason why I say as a country is because this movement is not just being spearheaded by us. We're not the only ones out there on the front lines, but we are definitely fed up with 
business as usual in the United States when it comes to race relations. What we watched happen on video to George Floyd is a representation of what African-Americans have had to deal with in this country since they have been here. We know that the first African slave arrived in this country in 1619. That was 401 years ago. It wasn't until 1808 that Congress banned further importation of slaves into the country. But they didn't ban slavery itself. So they basically just said, we can no longer bring any more in from outside, but we're gonna continue with this system that we are profiting from. In 1831, the Underground Railroad, that is when that movement started. And we've all heard the stories, some of these things that are never taught in history classes. But between 1831 and 1861, about 75,000 slaves were able to escape to the North because of the Underground Railroad. They were using what they had, using each other to get to freedom. In 1846, Frederick Douglass, who was very vocal about slavery and it being abolished, he founded the North Star, which I feel like is apropos for a name for what he was trying to do and the message and the information he was trying to spread. But he was speaking out against the institution of slavery and about the impact that it had on one group of people. But everyone wasn't ready to let go of this system that built a country. And let's be clear, slavery built this country. The things that we see, a lot of these historic buildings, the White House itself was built from the labor of slaves. They were not compensated at all for their labor. They did not ask to be here. And the country has continued to profit off of the backs of racial oppression. It wouldn't be until 1865 that the 13th Amendment would be written and ratified that prohibited slavery. But the problem with that is that there was a loophole. And one of the things that I like to talk to my students about because I teach African-American psychology is that we had to understand that even though slavery itself was abolished and made illegal, it didn't mean that the oppression went away. And so we know that Reconstruction came after the Civil War ended and after slavery was abolished. But we know that there were different ways to keep us enslaved. They found different ways because the next thing that happened in 1866 was the Black Codes were passed by the all-white legislatures of the former Confederate states. And basically what they were saying is that 
blacks in this country had to commit to labor contracts, even ones that were unjust and unfair. And failure to do that meant that they were subject to being arrested and imprisoned. So now you go from being a slave, having a master, to now you've established that the policing system is going to be used to keep us enslaved. And coincidentally, and probably not, the same year, 1866, the Ku Klux Klan was founded and formed in the state of Tennessee. The reason why all this history is important, and I can go on and on and on about different things that have happened in this country. The fact that we had Jim Crow um, instituted after the reconstruction where we had um, segregation and not allowing us to have the same rights the same benefits to even integrate with other people from our education system where we lived on down, that it wasn't until 1954 that segregation was considered to be unconstitutional. That was not that long ago. I mean, if we really look at it in clarity, you're talking about 76 years ago, um, approximately, we said that separate but equal was unconstitutional. And the fact that it took fighting, our voices had to be heard in order for these things to happen. Our voice is important. Brown versus Board of Education would not have happened had we not voiced our, our displeasure with the laws and the practices in this land. The Civil Rights Act would not have been signed had we not voiced our displeasure with business as usual. The Voting Rights Act would not have been passed had we not used our voices and our power. And at this point, we are at a pivotal point in this country because we are fed up with what this is. We know that George Floyd's death is a direct reflection of the biased policing in the United States. But we know that this bias, this hatred for a group of people, for simply nothing more than the color of their skin, is not limited to the police. It is ingrained in the fabric of our country. And I find it sometimes laughable and offensive that people are responding to our reaction to not being heard. We are not out here simply to protest and to gather because we have nothing else better to do, but we are at our breaking point. We can no longer sit back and allow this to be our condition. I will go back to something Dr. Martin Luther King said, since we always like to use his voice in these times as a weapon against protesters who are fed up, who are out there using their voices, their free speech, their right to assemble, to speak against the conditions in this country. He said that certain conditions continue to exist in our society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. 
But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro was worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about, about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our own nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. So we're reacting to the symptoms of the problem. We're reacting to the things that stemmed from the racism in this country. You're seeing more people speaking out against and denouncing the rioting and the violence that often comes with protesting than you do about the problem that caused it. How many people that took the time to say, that's not the way to do it. You have the right to protest. You have the right to speak out against things, but do it peacefully. How many of them took the time to actually speak out against what caused all of these riots to actually be? We're tired of not being heard. We're tired of being ignored. We're tired of being placated to. We are tired of being told that we're making everything about color that we live in a post-racial society, this is no longer a problem. We're tired. So every time you see a sign in every city, I believe 120 cities across this country, and it may be more at this point, have some type of protest going on in relationship to what happened to George Floyd. Worldwide, there are protests in Tokyo, there are protests in London, there are protests across the globe in solidarity with black people in this country because everybody is tired of racism. We're tired of it, we're fed up. So when you see the signs, when you see people laying down for nine minutes to simulate what happened to George at the end of his life, when you see people losing control and burning down things that they consider to be symbols of the oppression that they've had to endure. Not that I'm condoning it, but they're basically saying, can you hear us now? What more does it take for you to hear us? That is what this is all about. This is not about just being violent because black people are inherently violent. There is nothing that supports that. This is not just, I wanna take advantage and get something for free. There are always people that take advantage of situations in every case, but that is not what this is about. This is about, we need you to hear our voices. We've screamed, we've hollered, we've tried kneeling, you didn't like it. This is where it's come to. You can't tell us to be peaceful when we tried kneeling and you told us we were disrespecting our flag. You made something that had nothing to do with being a patriot of this country, hijacked the message that was peaceful. 
And now that things are out of hand, you want to dial back and unring the bell that has already been rung. Had we listened to Colin Kaepernick, had we listened to all the athletes across the country, across the globe, you see kneeling in so many different places. He started a movement. Had we just listened to what he was trying to say was the purpose behind the kneeling and made some changes systematically over time, maybe we would not be where we are today. So that is why we're saying, can you hear us now? But now the question comes, what do we do to make the change? I believe in the right to assemble. I believe in the right to speak, our right to speech, freedom of speech, and our right to have our voices be heard. I believe that gathering is a visual that is necessary to show the unity behind the message. But we need to move beyond just that. And so when we come back, we're going to talk about what do we need to do to actually make change in this country when it comes to these issues, these issues that are racially motivated that have prompted us to get to this point in our history. Be back in just a second. And we're back. Um, This is just one of those things that no matter how you try to wrap your mind around it, it almost seems as if you're watching something that was created for a television show or a movie. But we realize that the most graphic film or the most graphic television show could not compare to the reality that we're living in currently. Um, Oftentimes I see the images and I'm not one really to to watch TV, but since we've been um, in quarantine because of COVID-19, I've watched more TV than I've probably watched in probably the last three to four years. And I definitely don't watch the news. I usually try to get my news information through alerts um, on my phone or through Twitter, you know, snippets of things that I feel like are necessary to stay informed. But since May 25th, it has been necessary to understand what is happening in this country. The devastation as a whole that this country felt watching George Floyd lose his life in the way that he did. And it's This is the double-edged sword of our technology. We're now in a time when we can see injustice almost in real time. We have the ability for things to go live on different social media platforms. Um, If I'm not mistaken, I believe the very first time we actually saw this happen um, live on Facebook was when Philando Castile was shot and killed by the police officer, um, ironically, in Minneapolis, um, the same place where George Floyd was also killed by the same police force. It now makes it to where these things can no longer be hidden. I feel like the anonymity and the covertness of racism in this country has made it easier for those who don't experience it 
to believe that these injustices don't exist or it's exaggerated. It's not as bad as black people are saying it is. But our technology now says, no, it really is that bad. I remember it was 1991. I remember because it was the year I graduated high school when the video of Rodney King came out. At the time, you're talking about almost 30 years ago. At the time, that was something that we had never really seen in mass before. Seeing the police beat a citizen the way they beat that man. And we know what happened later. The officers went on trial, criminal trial. They were acquitted and the riots started in April of 1992. Again, a reaction to the cause, which is racism. So we're not in a new, we're not in new terrain. This is not something that is new, but the question is now, what do we do? Part of it is we have to understand how we got here beyond the history, because I gave you all of that, but the mentality that those who are oppressed are dealing with. Oppression is something that breaks you down psychologically. It breaks you down socially. It breaks you down economically. And there's also political components to it as well. It's a power play. It's a way to dominate. It's a way to make a group of people feel excluded in some way because their exclusion is there, they're exploited, they're controlled, and usually violence is also part of the equation. And to understand that the history of black people in this country is built on that foundation, our cultural identity is shaped by that. We are a manifestation of the internalization of the negative views of our people. We have now taken on and internalized the racism, the things that were said about us, and it has impacted us, our self-esteem, our self-worth, our, our self-concept of who we are as a people. And yes, we know that within the group on an individual basis that many of us have been able to overcome that group identity that we have as a culture and have risen above that to have a self-worth and a self-esteem that is reflective of the true nature of who we are. But as a people, that is not the case. We still see the ramifications of that. And it's not a cop-out. It's not a way to basically say we can't do better because of this. That is not what this is saying. This is helping you understand how you get to 2020 and you still have a culture of people who are disproportionately affected by conditions in this country. If COVID-19 didn't make it any clearer for you, I don't know what will. I mean, black people are three times likely to die from COVID-19 than other races simply because of 
the inequalities that already exist in this country. So a pandemic came in, another pandemic came in and highlighted what is already going on. So part of the ways of breaking this down is to fight against the psychology that has taken hold to this country for so long. There are so many things that we can do that will allow us to turn the tide, but it takes the tide being turned by the majority group and not the minority. So I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that black people should not be fighting for what they need. I'm saying the opposite of that. We definitely have to be a part of the fight. We have to control the message that is put out there, but it is on the majority group that put this into play to fix this and not trying to blame. I'm not trying to do that. That is not my goal with saying that my goal in saying that is that you can't sit idly by if you're a white person and see what's happening and not be a voice for the change and not use your privilege to actually turn the tide. We can't be our best selves if we watch groups of people be oppressed in any kind of way and we sit idly by. We're not our best, our best self if we see that happen. That is the reason for me that I speak against oppression in any kind of way. No, I'm not gay. I'm not Asian. I'm not Latino that I know of. I haven't done my ancestry, don't know, but I don't believe I am. Um, there are so many groups of people that are oppressed in this country that I am not a part of, but I speak against anything that tries to oppress the freedoms of people because injustice to any is injustice to all. You can't have justice when injustice exists. It's not to a select population. It's not as long as the majority has it. It means that everybody has to have equality. They have to have rights. And whenever that does not exist, that's a problem. Today, in June 2nd, there are multiple states that are having their primaries. And we know that it's challenging because of the conditions that are going on, that getting out to vote, you worry about still with the coronavirus. But I figured that's kind of out the window considering we've been protesting in multiple states regardless of coronavirus. So um, if we can do that, we can get out and vote if we need to do that. But you have, we have eight states that have a primary election today. Indiana, Iowa, New Mexico, Maryland, Washington, D.C., which we know is not a state, um, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, and Montana. It's important to make your voice heard in the elections in your state because that is how you make change to what is going on in this country. You change it by changing how we're governed. You change it by changing who is empowered to govern us. And you change it by letting them know what you want. When you go to the ballot box, make sure you understand that you're not just voting for the president of the United States. You're voting for, and this could be on your ballot, members of Congress. They represent us 
in the U.S. Senate as well as the House of Representatives. They are responsible for passing laws at the federal level that affect everyone within this country. You could possibly, depending on how your governor, the terms are voted for in your country, this may be a time where you're voting for your governor. Your governor is very important. The closer you get to the local level, the more important it really gets for you for your day-to-day -day life. The governor can veto and sign bills into law within your state. They can issue executive orders. They can they control and lead the state's responses during an emergency, which is important. And we have seen it with COVID-19, how important the governor is in response to emergency. I live in California. Um, so I watched Governor Gavin Newsom in his response to COVID-19. Many didn't like some of the restrictions, but I appreciated the fact that he erred on the side of caution and he was very much restrictive as possible in order to protect as many lives as he could. Um, the state legislatures are also on your ballots. These are important because they are basically at the state capitol. They approve your budgets. They approve the state laws and all the things that directly impact you and your families. Knowing what monies are going to be allocated for what services matter to you is done at your state level. So you want to make sure you have the people in place that are going to put funds towards the things that matter most. I'll use this example because not just simply because I work in education, but because this is important. Our educational system is one of the most important things that we have in this country, but it's usually the first thing to get funds cut. During COVID-19, when they had to take emergency funds and they had to send resources towards addressing the pandemic, education was the first place to get money cut. <clears throat> the reason why that is important is because, and you see my voice is doing something weird here. Hold on just a second. <clears throat> the reason why that is important is because those monies may never come back. So once you cut funding to education, we don't know if we'll ever get back to those numbers that we were in. I know within the community college system, we were in a surplus just because of so many people losing jobs and um, or people needing to get re-educated for a new profession. A lot of people were going back to school to train and go into new um, professions. That money is gone. So it's really important that you vote for the state legislators that are going to put money into the things that matter to you. Your mayor may also be up for re-election. Your mayor is important because your mayor approves the city level laws. They oversee your city departments, things like your police department, your fire department, education, housing, your transportation. Those are important. Your judges, this is critical. The judges on the state level and the state courts are issuing the decisions that include from a criminal level, it could be civil, it could be things like dealing with property, homes, child custody cases, etc. Your judges are important. You have to put people in that are going to be advocates for all. And 
you have to be aware of who these people are. What are their what are their track records? What do they believe in? What have they stood on? What is their platform? You need to know these things. You have your city council members. They may also be on your ballot. And they're important because they represent you in the city hall for the city that you reside in. They're responsible for approving your city's budgets. They fix the roads. They help improve public transportation and all these different things. So when you go to the ballot box, remember that you're not just voting for president. I know that it's glamorous that the presidential elections get all this press. It's very shiny to see that we focus so much on it. But the local level elections, I will say from the state down, um, are really, really important to what you're going to be dealing with from day to day in your life. So how do we make the changes? We make our changes by letting our voices be heard at the ballot box and being informed and putting in the people that are going to stop what is happening. If there's anything that has been said or you feel gives you pause to support a person because you feel like they won't speak for the, the whole, then maybe you need to look to another candidate. It's no longer saying, um, this is the best we have, so we'll just go with that. Um, now there are situations where you kind of have to make those choices. And I'll give you my example. <clears throat> Some people may not agree with this, but this is what it is. At this current time, we pretty much know that when we get ready to vote for president in November, there are only going to be basically two choices that are viable. We know that third party candidates run all the time, but we know historically that no third party candidate has ever won the presidency of the United States. In fact, the last time a third party candidate tried to run, did not win, it ended up um, causing a faction in one of the political parties at the time. And that's a whole conversation for a whole nother day. Um, so that just shows you how divisive it can be to the goal, the end goal that we have. So when we're exercising our voice by voting for president, we could be wasting votes by voting for a third party candidate that will not get elected. And many people say, well, it's my right. I'm using my voice to speak out. Who tells me what to vote for? But then that is the reason why we're here. That means that you only care about you and your personal convictions and not about the whole. Voting should be a macro level thing, meaning that you're voting for what's good for all. And I'm about to get into some of my personal perspectives and forgive me if this is not your view, but it's not good for all for the president of this country to use Twitter as a way to demean groups of people to basically target groups of people using speech that is hateful to advocate for violence. That is not in everyone's best interest. Even if you're not the group of people that he's targeting in his words. It's not in the best interest for the for the whole, for the president to take a situation that is very much about racism and to make it into something 
that is a political talking point. This is not about politics. George's life not being here is not about politics. It's about humanity. And if we're standing by and making this a partisan conversation, then that's a problem. And I'm going to be honest with you. Joe Biden is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He is not the ideal candidate. But you have to look at, okay, what are we signing up for? We already know what we get, what we would get if we reelect the current president. Do we want to continue with that? Or do we want to at least have the possibility or promise of things changing? Because the reality is, if you do the same thing, keep it the way it is, nothing changes. And it's insane to believe that it will. Nothing that you have been shown in the past three and a half years could possibly make you believe that doing this again will change what's happening. So we need to do something different. Yes, we need to get some someone at the head that is not the person that's there now if we want something different. But critically, this is the critical part of it. We need to get people in the U.S. Congress that are actually going to work. The partisan arguments is not getting anything passed. It's not being done in the benefit of the people. So if they won't vote for our interest, we need to vote them out. And when I say are the collective are. Americans, black, white, brown, blue, green, purple, whatever you want to give them. If they're not working for all of us, they're working for none of us. And so that is how we make changes. That is how we push forth. Whatever platforms matter to you, galvanize with the people in your area. Come together with a plan. Strategize on how you're going to actually put the plan in place and then take action. I can't tell you what your platform should be, but I can tell you that you need to have one. And I can tell you that you can't sit by, that posting on social media is great because we get educated by social media, but we need more than that. We need to move forward. We need to do better. And so as I go out, hopefully I said something that will make you think, that will make you want to take action that will make you want to connect to groups in your local area that are speaking out against racism and inequality. Find those groups, become a part of those groups, do what you can, but don't sit by idly. You're not being your best self by watching other people suffer. You're not. And so as we go out, I normally always try to go out with telling us to take care of ourselves, to be good to others and to be good to ourselves. That seems like it cannot be said enough. I always lead it with being good to others because I feel like we focus a lot of times on ourselves and we forget about our global brothers and sisters. So I leave you with for sure, be good to others, take care of them. Definitely be good to yourself and take care of yourself. And have a great rest of your week, considering all of what's happening. Do the best you can with where we are until we meet again. Thank you for joining us on the Transforming Your Life podcast with Dr. Malika. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter 
at TransformingPod. And you can also follow Dr. Malika's personal social media accounts at Dr. Malika Speaks, M-A-L-A-I-K-A. As always, we want you to like and subscribe the podcast. You can find it on Spotify, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere that podcasts can be found. As she always says, take care of yourself and take care of others. Have a great rest of your week.